Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunland Review Show. It was a wonderful, sunny and enjoyable afternoon on Wearside as Nathan Broadhead made the perfect comeback by nodding in a 95th minute winner to ensure Sunland's playoff promotion hopes received the shot on the arm it probably needed. As always, we'll be reviewing all of the talking points from the game as we look back at Sunland's 1-0 win over Neil Harris's Gillingham. And if I sound particularly chirpy, do forgive me, but I've just watched the Mags get stuffed 5-1 live on Sky Sports. And... Say what you want, that's enjoyable. Um, to join me is the ever-reliable Dave, not the rave, Lawrence. Dave, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, very well, thanks, mate. It might be the rave because you're <clears> a tank, don't <throat> you? Let's be honest. <laughs> Unbeknown to everyone who can't see the uh, can't see the audio, you know what I mean? Uh, Dave's just done a nice bit of raving there for us all, and it's wasted, completely wasted. Um, trying to find a nickname for Brad and I felt quite bad because the only one I could get was Brad Bad Take Shot because he had a few bad takes yesterday. Uh, don't know if you know your new nickname, Brad, or if you like it, but how are you doing, young man? You all right? Yeah, I'm not so bad, mate. Um, like you just touched on, just watch the mags get stuffed. Always a nice way to round off a Sunday before going back to work, isn't it? It really is. It, it really, really is. I've got to be honest. Um, and to break up the Holy Trinity... And, of course, give a more positive take, as always. It's Sunderland Central Scotland branch man, Phil Wilson. Phil, how are you doing? Are you all right? I'm all right. Do I not get a nickname, then? I was going to say Mr. Positive, mate, but I think we all are at the minute, aren't we? We sound positive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Good, mate. Good. Uh, first things first, as I said in the intro, Dave, massive win in the context of the season, really. Um we're a day later. Obviously, people know what time we're, we're talking about this. So, um, how do you how do you assess the game? It's kind of you know we were we were more sprightly yesterday. I'll give us that. We didn't. Look, I mean, what was it? Twenty five shots on goal. I'm not sure how many of them were on target. Five, five, five. So we were more sprightly. I'll give us that. And I tell you what, Alex Neil has definitely sorted us out defensively against. Yeah, I'm going to be horrible against crock of shit teams who get one <laughs> shot and go and do football manager and score one goal and beat us. So Alex Neil has definitely sorted us out defensively. And I tell you what, if there isn't a single um if there isn't a single team who come up against us for the rest of the season who haven't worked out that he loves bringing Embleton off the bench for that left footed in swinging cross. They're in trouble because we scored a couple of goals since Alex Neils took over with that. And um, but yeah, listen, it was massive. It momentum and psychology and all that stuff is is huge. And we had to win yesterday. And it took us like the second last kick of the game to get that winner. So yeah, albeit albeit we would have liked to have scored three or four and probably not necessarily deserved, but certainly it should have been more comfortable than that. Yeah. A win's a win, three points on the board. Next Saturday is absolutely massive. Absolutely massive. But it's just another day in the life of a Sunderland fan, isn't it? Aye, it is, mate. Brad, uh, same question to you, mate. How do you assess the game sort of 24 hours or so later? Um, pretty much similar to Dave, really. Um, I actually thought we played quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt like as the game went on it was just going to be like 
because you see, everyone, I think everyone was checking the table, weren't they, throughout? Yeah. And you see eighth position, and then just before we scored, you see Jeff Wed had just got a late winner, and you were like, oh, for Christ's sake. But what I want to thank is um, Gillingham for time-wasting uh, from minute one, once again. Um, brilliant, brilliant bit of tactics to allow us to have the six minutes added on and ultimately shithouse them with a minute after the goal when they're trying to rush the play. Massive shout out to Anthony Patterson. Brilliant, that. I know what you're going to say. Brilliant. Rushes at the edge of the six-yard box and take it quickly. Patero walks back over to it, picks it up, takes it to the other side and they start getting in the referee's ear about time wasting. Um, If that's not a lesson to these teams down that end of the table that want to come and play that way then nothing is because uh, it almost worked and they almost got away with it and a bit of credit to the defence I thought they did stand up quite well um, like you say it was 25 shots only 5 on target so they did limit us to no real clear cut chances I would say um, but yeah 80% possession mate we, we, we were in no danger at the back um, no. the lads were pretty solid at the back to be honest it was nice to see Danny Bart back Thought he was good in the air. It was more like the Portsmouth performance than opposed to the Bolton one, albeit not as tested. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a different take had the only been five minutes added on at the end because if it came away 0 0, it'd have been a lot. It'd have been similar to a Lincoln or a Charlton review where you say we've had a lot of ball, we've, we've been in the, the final third without really doing anything. The performance was sort of there, but yeah, we've got the win at the end of it, and that's the main thing for me. It's mad, really, when you think about like how much a, a result affects how a performance looks. Because, like you say, if that goal doesn't go in, you go, Ugh. and it's Charlton and Lincoln all over again, and you're frustrated. You're how missing those chances are. Corey Evans missed that chance, this chance, that chance. When you win, but I was talking to my dad yesterday, like like Dave said, it's nice when you score three or four, and you, you're dead comfortable, and you go, oh, we look a force. But I almost felt like we needed that sort of last gas win. I mean, I went, I haven't gone to the match with my dad for ages. And I think as people know, I sit with with Ashley the past couple of seasons and I've, I've sat for, for other people as well um, for many years. And, and my dad's recently started coming back to the game. He started enjoying it. Um, and I've managed to get my ticket and stuff. And yesterday was like on, on my dad's shoulders kind of stuff. Um, he carried us, believe it or not, all 13, 14 stone to me. Um, which I was quite impressed with, to be honest. But um, it felt like, not euphoric, because I don't know how euphoric you can get with a 1-0 win over Gillingham, if I'm completely honest, but it felt nice. It felt like, oh, that could kickstart something. But I said I was on Total Sport with Benno uh, straight after the game, <clears throat> and I said it's for the first time in what I can remember, it seems like forever, rather than a sigh of relief at a goal around the stadium, there was actual limbs. There was yeah. people next to me cuddling people next to them, people I don't know, cuddling this random lady behind me. My son's jumping. Absolutely. It just felt like, as opposed to a relief, it, it was more like a roar went around the stadium rather than a big gasp. And I've got that sort of feeling and I want more of that. And hopefully the players now have noticed that <laughs> that's what the stadium's capable of, of. You know what I mean? It, I mean, it's like I say, it's hard to, to have it, but I did... I did celebrate it quite wildly yesterday, as you do. Um, first question I'm, I'm going to throw out, Phil. Obviously, I've asked a lot of people their, their opinions on the game, but I think we're all more or less the same. We're, we're happy. Um, 
you were quite a big fan, Phil, of Alex Neal being appointed. When I was kind of consoling myself in Budapest that Roy Keane was not coming home, you said, well, I actually kind of wanted Alex Neal from the beginning. And we had that kind of like chat um, sort of off air. So it does feel like a really boring thing to talk about, Phil, right? But that's Sunderland's fifth clean sheet in six games. And while the goal and the celebrations and all that stuff that comes within the main headlines, that's what's going to get the headlines. How important is Alex Neal's Sunderland and the defensive solidity going to be come season end, Phil? Uh, yeah, you're right. I was definitely the, the managers who were out there. I was the He was the one I thought, actually, he's a top coach. Um I saw some stats earlier today that you know we've conceded less game less goals in all of his games than we did in that one Bolton game where obviously we were even heading the ball into our own net. You know, Danny Bartman uh, being guilty of that. So I think probably we've got to the point. You know, he's had enough games now to think it's not fluke that we're suddenly keeping clean sheets. It probably is to do with the manager. Um, He's obviously getting a bit of a handle on things. We obviously signed, you know, 20 wingers uh, in the last couple of transfer windows. So he realised quite quickly, shit, how do I get that into a, uh, <laughs> into a defensive uh, unit? But it's not even that we've had a settled back three, back four. He's been moving people in, people out. Um, he seems to settle on Winchester as a, as a defender, whether that's right back or, or right side of the three. Um, just looks like one of those guys who can just just go in go in there and and, and do a job, um, and so far it's working. So yeah, um, we knew it had to be sorted out. We, we, looking at the stats, we knew that all the teams in the top half of the league we had the worst goals against record. So it wasn't sustainable if we wanted to go up. That we could uh, we could keep shipping the goals and keep needing three or four goals to win a game. So. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we've got to give him credit and say he has tightened things up at the back. And, and did they have never shot on goal yesterday, gentlemen? I'm not sure they did. Uh, it was just a case of can we get a goal in 90 minutes, 96 minutes, 97 minutes, whatever. Um, didn't look like we were going to. It looked like it might have turned out to be a Charlton or a Lincoln, but uh, it went the way of the last couple of home games that managed to just find find a goal when we needed it and it was a little bit like a defining moment of the season we might look back at it hopefully we do come you know end of May um, that you know what remember that goal that Broadhead scored in the 97th minute um, you know the tipple you know, Edwards against Burnley Liam Miller was against Barby that is, might have that sort of uh, repercussion for the season so hopefully it is when you say they're about to find a moment in the season, and I know it was a championship winning season, but um, Lee Miller, God rest his soul, um, his goal against Derby was so massive. And when I look back at it, I always remember like that was the moment I just knew. And yesterday's goal did give me a kind of, oh, hang on a minute, maybe I should book the time off at Wembley. I mean, I'm going to listen back to this in five weeks' time and be like, you idiot. But nonetheless... While I'm in the moment, I might as well say what I'm really thinking. Dave, I, I want to kind of throw the same sort of question at you. Um, the goal's going to get the headlines in the same way that Dan Yields and Patrick Roberts did the other week, and all the headlines are going to go towards that last gasp goal and the fact that Broadhead was back and all that kind of stuff. It was another game where we didn't look troubled at the back. Um, 
and I know we're touching it the other week, and I've touched it with loads of different people about clean sheets. Um, but Sam Allardyce banged on about it when Sam Allardyce came in, and it was boring as hell because I remember, I'm sure we drew against Bournemouth 0-0, or we drew against someone 0-0, and he kind of came out and said, oh, you've got to respect the clean sheet, and it was just like, oh, for God's sake. Like, and look where Sam Allardyce ended up getting us, and ultimately, that's another long story, but if we take that period of time of, him saying it's important that we don't concede goals because then anything that we do scores a win or we at least don't lose. And I feel like Alex Neal's a little bit like that in League One. Um, and ultimately, if we don't concede goals or we have the same run of clean sheets towards the end of the season, we're going up or we're at least going to a penalty shooter at the end of the season. Are the clean sheets as massive as the, the last-minute winners really at the moment? I hate to admit it because like, I'm all for gung-ho. Like, let's go and score one more than the opposition. But friend of the show, Bowers, he's going to love listening to this podcast and hearing the fact that, like, I agree with something he says because <laughs> he's always rambled and raved about clean sheets and how important they are. And I'm, I always try to get away from that for anyone who's old enough, that George Graham style of playing of, like, the best form of attack is defence. And I'm like, I'm not for that. The best form of defence for me is attack. But ultimately, yes, if you don't concede a goal in the game, you gain a point. Anything after that, you know, one set piece, something going in off someone's cock end, however it works out, <laughs> you, you suddenly win the game. Do you know what I mean? So... Yeah, there's got to be some truth to it, doesn't it? And let's be honest, it was it was nice at times beating Chef Ward, Chef Wed five one. It, it was nice to do that, but at the same time, getting beat off Bolton six nil, it's an embarrassment. Proves, doesn't it? The squad that we've got, people will often question: Is the squad that we've got good enough? Listen, on paper, that attacking five or six that we've got is for this league. And again, it's only on paper. It's an embarrassment of riches to have that type of talent at this level. When, let's be honest, yesterday we were worrying about Vadine Oliver, who's got nine goals for Gillingham. Behave yourself. Are we actually worried about someone like Vadine Oliver with nine goals when we've got Ross Stewart, who's on 7,842 for the season? Literally, it's just one of those. So, yeah. I hate to admit it because I'm all for scoring one more than the opposition and getting out of this absolute doldrum of the league. But yeah, the clean sheets are massive. And and like Philip said earlier, to, to, to have conceded less in six games with Alex Neal in charge than one game with Lee Johnson, it probably tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? I bet you called him Philip. Are we using the Sunday names here? David. Bradley, I'll come to you next. <laughs> I think, uh, to be fair, I, I, I do agree, Dave. I've always been attacked as the best form of defence and I met Lee Johnson. Um, and it drives us batty that we just could not defend, um, basically. And, and yeah, it's a bit boring sometimes, but I think Alex Neal probably came in. He seems to me like a no-shit kind of guy. I think he seems like that to everyone, to be fair. Um, but he's probably came in and gone, right, what have I got? Right, so we're conceding loads of goals, and I've got that talent up front that I can get a goal out and out. I've got Patrick Roberts. I've got, at the time, would have been Ross Stewart, Defoe, Broadhead. 
And I know obviously Defoe's gone and there's a few more players around there. And um, Pritchard, he's probably looked and thinking, hang on, is the lad I paid eight million quid for is in this team on a free transfer. Well, if I fix that at the back and they just stop leaking things, surely one of them's gonna bang a goal. And football's a simple game played by idiots. I've always said that sometimes. Um, definitely watched by idiots if you're considering myself, but it does make sense to keep clean sheets. But but Brad, um, it's worth noting that was Alex Neal's ninth game in charge. Um I think some of those games are a bit unfair to planting him like Wimbledon away and stuff like that. But nonetheless, it's his ninth game charged by the stats. It's his fourth win, but his seventh game unbeaten. Um, I know Alex Neal's brand of not sexy football is not being sold on everyone. Slowly but surely, though, that's seven games unbeaten and another home win and another set of changes that he's made that has meant we've won the game. Um, where do you stand on Alex Neal's first nine games in charge, Brad? Um over the moon with him, to be honest, mate. <clears throat> I think we were both said when he came in, we were happy with him. Um, the the animosity that was going on and people saying uh, about the fans not being particularly happy. No one was unhappy with Alex Neal. They were unhappy with how long it took and how it was handled. Mm-hmm. The only downside I can think is if, if he'd have came in them two games earlier, we would not have lost them two games and we yeah. would have been sat here looking pretty much solid in the playoffs. But slowly but surely, like you say, um, I think the football's starting to look a little bit better as well. Um, and I was going to say it before you did, he knows the amount of attacking players that we've got and the times free scoring. So if he can just show the back, the rest should take care of itself. And at the minute... Apart from the two games which we didn't score in, um, it's working. Look at Wigan, for example. No one expected us to go there and beat them 3-0. You just kept it tight, solid at the back, and we went and battered them in their own backyard. Um, you've mentioned Wembley already once. Um, I want to say already, I've already booked my hotel. But saying that's one of them where you don't pay until you get there and you don't lose any money. <laughs> I was going to say, I've done that on Booking.com, but it's free cancellation. I've paid now yet. So. Yeah. So, I'm not 100% confident, but I'm confident enough to start looking at there to have looked at some decent gaffes. Like, pardon? You're not, you're not superstitious either. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but back to your question, Graham. Summing up Alex Neil, you, you always say you have to judge him after 10 games. I think in his in his nine games in charge, we're seventh or eighth in the form table. Six, seventh or eighth, one of them. Someone posted it. It's where it's, it's where we want to be, really. Um, because like we said, teams are going to slip. Some teams are going to drop points. Chef Wed were very lucky yesterday. We we were lucky, you could say, um, by getting that min- that last minute goal. There are still going to be twists and turns, but I'm I'm a lot more confident with Alex Neal to lead us through these these six than I would have been with Lee Johnson for example I'm happy for once Phil obviously you were actually a fan of Lee Johnson I think it's fair to say people listen me and Brad weren't Dave was in between you you quite liked him in many ways but like I said before you also really liked the idea of Alex Neal when he came in um, so it is early to judge but that's what we're going to do anyway um, nine games in charge fourth win seventh unbeaten He's millionth clean sheet, um, something like that. Are you more pleased and more confident that we've got Alex Neal in charge as opposed to the man who came before? 
Well, we should probably start by uh, acknowledging the fact that we've today had to give up the only trophy we've won in our lifetime, the Papa John's, which obviously, you know, Lee Johnson uh, led us to to glory in uh, <laughs> last year. So uh, we no longer have that in the uh, the entrance of the Stadium of Light. So <laughs> God knows oh, when no. the next trophy will be and uh, whether Alec Neal brings that to us or not. Who knows? But I, I just... You know, it feels a little bit like the egg timer. You you turn it upside down and the sand starts running. And I just have this fear that he's, as Brad said earlier on, if he'd come in, they'd just given him it two games earlier. Um, has he got enough time to get us to a point where, one, we're going to get in the playoffs because it is now looking like two from four. Yeah, I think Ipswich are probably... Dropped out of the race now yesterday, losing at home to Cambridge. Um, and as Dave said at the beginning of the pod, next Saturday is absolutely huge. Um, something inside, I don't know. I've got a feeling we've got a reasonable record at Oxford. I never seen really good one. We've only feel, lost once. Yeah, yeah. I never really feel whether we've been in the same league as them or or over the years. Um, playing up or down against them that we, we've had a, a, a problem at Oxford. So probably for that reason only, I'm, I'm feeling relatively confident going in there next week and we are in a run of form um, as far as keeping clean sheets are concerned. We know had we scored against Charlton and Lincoln, it would have looked a hell of a lot different and we should have won both of those games. Like yesterday, you know, it was literally attack against defence. I wasn't Obviously, if I hadn't got that late goal, things would look a lot different. But we were the, we were actually really good. What did we get? Twenty five shots. We just weren't picking the right options when we were getting in there, or perhaps we didn't have enough people in the box when we were getting in behind them. Um, and I, uh, somebody else mentioned about the season turning on Broadhead getting injured at Arsenal, and I wasn't having that you know that's why we've fallen apart is because Broadhead got injured but who knows uh, if he, he can stay fit for the next what six weeks um, he might make all the difference I love the way he took his goal I mean he did everything we'd just been asking Ross Stewart to do for the previous 95 minutes Ross Stewart has always ran his heart out he was all over the pitch but he actually spent a lot of time not in the box um, so the crosses were coming in and it's, well, you've just laid it off to, you know, whoever and you weren't there. But um, just to finish off on on Alec Neal, uh, and this is not the first time the substitutions that he makes. I mean, we've watched some of them a long time and you you pull your hair out with some of the substitutions managers make. They go, what game are they watching? Um, when he threw those three lads on and what, 65, 70 minutes was it? It was just, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what you needed to do. And all three, I think, had a part in the goal. Yeah, Gooch laid it to Embleton. Embleton swung it over and brought it, headed it in. I mean, whether you know, luck or you make your own luck, I guess. But uh, if you can't be good, be lucky. I think the saying is, and he's he's making a good habit of it. I think he's. I think he's substitutions. Yesterday, I was like, oh, I can't believe he's taken off. Um, I think he took off on nine. I thought, oh, why is, he, why is he not taking Evans off? And, and yada, yada, why is Dan Neal not coming on? But like, what do I know? Um, and, and it's numerous home games now where he's made changes. Like the Fleetwood game, he brought the four and oh nine on. The four got the assist, I think, more or less for 
for 09. It was his shot that got deflected and went into 09. 09 scored. Um, Dan Neal came on and scored in the game against Crew. Patrick Roberts came on and scored against Crew. That was his two subs then. Um, he brings on these subs and it just works. It's like, I, I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if it is just pure luck, but you get to a point when he's doing it so many times, you think, well, well maybe it's not luck. Like, you know, maybe he just actually knows what he's doing. Um, I absolutely loved, talking about the way Broadhead took the goal, I really loved the way Alex Neal took it as well. I love that, like, little air header that he did. That was brilliant. Um, shades of, like, Scottish Bobby Saxon there for me. Um, I thought it was fantastic. And his celebration, I just, I, 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 there's certain people I like at Sunderland, which is weird because I'll never meet these people. I'll never probably have a conversation. And if I do, it'll be on this podcast in about five years after they've left, long after I've made a judgment on what I think of them as a manager, um, if I'm so lucky. So I, I can't only really say I dislike Lee Johnson as a person, but he wasn't for me. He wasn't for me, just the way that he spoke and, and things that he said about my football club wasn't for me. On the flip side, the likes of Allardyce, Peter Reid, Roy Keane were for me. Alex Neil, whilst he hasn't had that level of success of the aforementioned names I've had there, Alex Neil and what he's saying and the way he started and, and the way he says stuff and the way he changes stuff is for me at the minute. Um, things can change, but... I love the kind of straightforward black and white conversation. There's absolutely zero grey. I know this sounds weird for me as officially my job being a journalist, but his disdain for the questions he gets in the press conference is brilliant. He might as well just say, I actually can't be arsed, lads. I just want to win the game. Um, and I've got quite a lot of time for that. I, I, I like the fact that I know exactly what he's thinking. I know exactly where he's at. Um, and as long as he keeps winning games and keeping clean sheets, then... You know what? That's the full package for me. I'm quite happy with it. Um, Dave, I'll, I'll come uh, back. Sorry, what's that layman's term? You can't bullshit a bullshitter. I. You can it. I mean, I mean, he's he's just straight up like. I. I agree with Graham. I said when he first came in, I think it was a couple of interviews. I said it's such a refreshing change for you and a manager just tell you that water's wet and the grass is green, not give mm. you the explanation why water is wet and the grass is green and on occasions, depending on the weather, it might change colour, then it'll go back to a different colour. You know what I mean? That's what we have with Johnson. So it is very refreshing. And <laughs> I do, like you said, I do love watching his interviews because sometimes he just like, he just doesn't want to answer them. He's just like, look, we're, 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 we're focusing on this game. Then the next report will say, yeah, but do you ever keep an eye on the rest of the teams? No, I told you before. Next question. Like, it's you, just you great. You guys will always tell me better because my memory is absolutely shot from drinking too much alcohol. But genuinely, like, did we not win one nil? And he came out and he said, "Listen, we were shite." It was um, effectively crew or Fleetwood. He was just saying, "Not good enough." I think it was Fleetwood, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, and um, he just genuinely came out and he said, "We've won the game. We've got the three points. We've done our job, but we weren't good enough." What more can you want? That's how we see games. Like, for me, famous saying um, that I've always loved since I was a kid, because me and I used to say it, Lee Johnson was the far end of fart and in which way it blew. Um, <laughs> Alex Neal will just tell you that it was a fart. It stunk. And that's kind of, sometimes that's, I just want, that's just what I want. And I mean, Lee Johnson, I'm sure, will work somewhere else. You know, obviously, he knows what he's doing. He had us playing some lovely football at times. But for me, Alex Neal's a fit, an effect that I like. But um, Dave, we'll have to touch on one player that came on. We've touched on the clean sheets. We've touched on the defence. We've touched on Alex Neal. Um, we've kind of 
flicked around him a little bit, but Nathan Broadhead was one of those substitutes. We haven't seen much of him since that night at Arsenal when I thought he was brilliant and I thought he was in really good form before that, like 60 minutes or so charting and he, he unfortunately broke down again. I do worry a bit about his fitness um, based on recent history, but how important is it going to be if we can keep Nathan Broadhead fit, get him match fit, get him in the side based on that like cameo from yesterday when I thought he was absolutely tremendous? There's, again, I'm I'm with and I'm against Brad with the whole turncoat thing because I love DeVoe to an extent and I was around for the days of Phillips and Quinn and Johnson and Summerby and a really nice golden era of football. I mean, imagine saying that it was a golden era of football club when you finished seventh in the <laughs> division. It's not exactly great, is it? But Jesus Christ. But, like, we did have a golden era of players. It was refreshing to watch and, and really, really nice. Um, and I, I still have a lot of admiration for Jermaine Defoe. But he came out and he said, and, and no matter what the reason is, and there's only a select few who will ever know the reason why Defoe retired at the stage that he did. But he came out and he said, there's players in there who can I'm probably standing in the way of through reputation. And let's be honest, it was probably aimed at Nathan Broadhead. He probably knew that he was coming back to fitness. He probably probably knew he was going to be in and around the match day squad. And there is an element of Broadhead, and there's not too many players within our squad. And maybe I'm harsh, maybe I'm not. There'll be a lot who agree with me. There'll be a lot who disagree with me. But Broadhead is one of those who, in terms of how you watch him play football, He's better than the level that we play at. And we've got a few of them, to be honest, albeit on loan, albeit on contracts till the end of the season and see where we go. The likes of Roberts, the likes of Pritchard, the likes of Stewart. Let's be honest, it's our attacking attacking force. There's a good four, five, six of them who are just too good for this level, which probably scares us a little bit because we feel as if we don't get promoted, we're going to lose Ross Stewart. I've said it myself on the pod. I I think we will. He's got too much to offer for someone to go out and go, right, I'll tell you what, I'll take a two and a half million pound chance on him because that's probably what it's going to cost them to get from a League One football club. And Broadhead's another one of them. You can't tell me watching him over the course of the season. And yes, his fitness worries are a worry. There's no two ways about that. But there's teams out there, whether it's, someone coming down from the championship with a big budget, whether it's someone who's sitting in mid-table, maybe he's like a, a QBR or bloody hell Luton challenging for promotion in, in the playoffs, to be fair to them. But you can't tell me clubs like that aren't watching someone like Nathan Broadhead and going, he could make a difference, to be honest. There's definitely something about him. There's, and, hey, let's let's be hopeful in the fact that there is something enough about them to be fit enough and actually make a difference for us. I think there is. I think there's enough. I've I've said it a few times on the podcast. Like, I think Alex Neal's time will come next season. I really hope, and I'm going to put myself on the line here, if we get in the playoffs, and I can't believe I'm saying this, if, and that's the big question, if we get to the playoffs, I think Alex Neil gets us over the over the line. 
And Saturday will be a huge test because, if I'm not mistaken, Oxford are quite clearly, by a good seven or eight goals, I think they're the top goal scorers in the league quite easily. And that's saying something because Rotherham have had a good year. Wigan have got games in hand, so they've clearly had a good year. But Oxford score goals for fun. Saturday had just gone the exemption. Um, but I genuinely think Alex Neal's got enough scruples about him. And I love a good word like scruples. I genuinely think he gets us over the line. So, yeah, that's my prediction. But my problem is getting to the playoffs in the first place. Crystal ball there, Dave. Just, just, just his head. It's just his head, Phil. <laughs> I was believing. I was believing. Get in the playoffs. It's done. Literally just his head. Um, but yeah, you know what? I mean, Alex has got form. Um, and everything feels great after a win, doesn't it? But it's been a while since the defeat, to be fair. MK don't, I think. Um, I will just reiterate, Saturday is the massive one. If we get beaten on Oxford, I turn back on everything I've just said. Huge. It's absolutely massive. I think um, winning the games that we, on paper, should win. And getting results at Oxford and Plymouth are massive. Um, But we are going to sort of take a wee break and go into a a part two. Um, Sometimes we do this when we ramble on a little bit too much, which tends to happen after A, a heavy defeat, or B, a nice cheeky win. Um, so I'll leave you with some sort of interlude. You normally get a death metal one. I haven't decided what I'm doing yet. Um, so we'll leave in part one. We'll be back in part two in about 30 seconds to a minute. Welcome back to part two, which is basically only a part two because I am too tight to pay for the Zoom premium and it runs out after 40 minutes and we talk a bit of shite before we actually record. Um, but thanks for coming back. Mention. What? I was just thinking money's too tight to mention. Money is too tight to up. mention. It certainly is. Um, we ended part one chatting about Nathan Broadhead. Um, so we'll continue with it before we have a couple of negatives for the, the, the sake of balance and then... Uh, chat about whatever we fancy after that, pretty much. But um, Brad, you were next in line on my list. Uh, Nathan Broadhead, we're touching it loads before, but how important he is. Um, we all seen how important he is before he got injured. He's been away a long while to the point where we sort of started to wonder if he could come back and make any impact. He made a massive impact yesterday with his goal. Keeping him fit, is he potentially the difference between playoffs and not the playoffs? Definitely. Um... Like you say, if he was there for the Lincoln game, would it have been? Would we have nicked a goal? It's just them, they, them little fine margins which we have missed him lately. Um, going back to just before his injury, like we said, that night at Arsenal, he ran a Premier League defence all over. Like he, he, he looked like he wasn't out of place against the Premier League side. He was phenomenal. Um, and credit to him yesterday, Alex Niels came out and said. <clears throat> He asked him on Friday, do you reckon you've got a start in you? And he said, no, um, I could probably give you 30. I don't want the same thing to happen. Um, and then listening to his interview, he, he said he was like, he was so frustrated. There was a lot of, a lot of emotion in his celebration because he was so frustrated that he rushed himself back. 
So I think he's now in tandem. His brain and his body are working together, which is going to allow us to get the most out of him as opposed to starting him and then losing him for possibly a lot longer. If we get 30 minutes, 30 minutes next week, and then obviously we've got the Easter weekend, so if we can maybe rest him for Shrewsbury and play him with Plymouth, ease him in, and then if... If it's still in our hands by then, we've gotten back up to match fitness and then we can start using them from the start if we need to. That's my personal opinion, but he is massive for us. Um, plus, like we've said, takes the burden off us, Stuart. I mean, when you've got a 22-goal-a-season striker and then you look down your list and I think everyone else... Is everyone else in single figures? Much? Yeah, more or less, mate. I... There's, no, like, there's no one... <laughs> even in double figures, to show like it's not all about Ross Stewart. And if you looked previously, uh, the Cheltenham game at home, for example, was a perfect example of how good Broadhead can be for the team without even scoring the goal. And we got five that night, and he was absolutely phenomenal. That, that would have been a 10 out of 10 performance had he got a goal that night. And that is what he's capable of. And we need to make sure we don't burn him out as well or, or make that injury flare up at the at the worst possible time. Um so to answer your question, yes, Broadhead is absolutely massive for us. Um and I think I put a bold statement out there before DeFore would be the one to fire us to promotion. Um if we're to make the playoffs and get to Wembley and go up, Broadhead will from now until then, I think Broadhead will probably be the person that everyone looks back at and thinks thank fuck he came back because he was massive for us Pritchard was brilliant yesterday as well on his, on his first game back yeah I mean he really looked like he hadn't been away that long obviously tired a bit towards the end and Alex Neal took him off which was good management but um, you mentioned about the goals that we scored just to put into context how probably important Broadhead is before we move on to a couple of negatives Um Ross Stewart has scored 22 goals. He's got two assists and he's played uh, 44 games, 0.53 goals per 90, 171 minutes per goal. Um, second in the list, actually, Brad, is Nathan Broadhead, who's had three injuries, to my, to my knowledge, when he first came. Then he got another hamstring and then he's had the, the most recent one. He's scored eight goals out of 18 appearances. It's 0.63 per 90, and he's got the best goals uh, goals per minute in the squad of 143, a goal every 143 minutes. After that, you've got Aidan O'Brien. Um, obviously, three of them were at Blackpool, but then you've got Embo and Pritchard, but Pritchard obviously is there on 10 assists, which is probably not surprising anyone. And that's just a list of Winchester, McGeady, Neil, Onai, and Diakou, chipping in with three and four here and then and you're down to your ones. So that alone statistically shows you how important Nathan Broadhead is as you've just touched on it. Um, Phil, obviously we spoke off air about this so I'm going to come to you first for the controversial opinion of the day because I know it's coming. A um, couple of negatives for the sake of balance. <laughs> I've literally wrote here, we say it often, but Corey Evans. I haven't even thought a question. Um I hate to have any negatives in it, but I'm just not impressed by him. I don't like the way he is on the pitch. I find him quite cowardly in the way that he plays, not as a person. I don't know him. Um, I find as a leader, he's not really there. But you've got a bit of a different take on that, Phil. What 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 is your weird and wonderful take? 
weird and wonderful, right? Okay. It's going to um, be, isn't it? Maybe, if you yeah, like them. Maybe, the, maybe this is my Mr. Positive Head coming on here because <laughs> the, the sentiment field has changed quite a bit in each of Alex Neal's games. And he seems to be the one constant who's who's there. Um, whether we play a three at the back or a four at the back, he's in that too. Um, I'll be honest, you'll probably remember that chance yesterday where it was pulled back to him and all he had to do was slide it in the bottom corner and he put it in row T. I'll take a guess at probably. Mm. Uh, it wasn't my favourite then at that point, um, but there are certain players in teams who have a job to do. And it's probably not scoring goals in this instance. Um, I saw, I don't know if you saw the World Cup draw the other night, uh, Didier Deschamps. Well, I'm not comparing Corey Evans to Didier Deschamps. <laughs> but uh, if you remember, Eric Cantona called him the water carrier. And, you know, again, he's not a Kante or any player like that. But teams need somebody who just sits in the middle of the park, not doing anything particularly glamorous, Maybe taking the ball in and passing it five yards. Um, but teams need players like that. So, yeah, I, I feel a little bit like the case for the defence. I don't have a very strong case. I will absolutely put that out there. Um, but you're not going to have 11 guys who are going to get the ball like a Patrick Robertson, you know, nutmeg a couple and, and flip it around the next guy and, uh, you know, and, and whip one in, uh, all that sort of stuff. You, you need you, you need, whether it's the Corey Evans or whoever it may be, um, in the centre of park in some games. And just you mentioned, uh, there's a couple of guys we've, we've spoken about already today who didn't even make the squad yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you, you've got Neil and Matetti on the bench. Doyle hasn't made the squad. Uh, Diaku, who came up earlier on, wasn't in the squad. So all of a sudden, Pritchard and Broadhead coming back, We've got, we've got options, and if we can, and I talk about the egg timer thing because it does feel like I'm not sure we can beat that. I think, is there enough time for us to to sneak in before that runs out? Um, but whether you like it or not, guys, you're going to see Corey Evans playing in the centre of the park for the next six games if he's fit because um, Alec Neal obviously sees uh, an important role for him, whatever I mean- that may be. I mean, to challenge my perception of Corey Evans, you could say that he is 100% the number four, the sitter, the defensive midfielder, and we're not conceding goals. So Alex Neal might tell me, well, you know, you don't like him for X, Y, Z, but he plays this important role for me and here's the stats. So uh, I suppose there's a, the counteract. To, to give you an opposite comparison, I know he didn't compare him to Didier Deschamps, but nonetheless, someone referred to him yesterday as Darren Gibson were here, which I thought was very good. Um, I thought it was a little bit too much of praise for Darren Gibson, to be honest, uh, for Corey Evans, to be honest, at the time. And also, if we're going with water, water carriers, I think maybe Adam Sandler in the water boy, potentially. Let's hope he has a similar trajectory, <laughs> a similar level of story as the water boy is. And if you haven't watched the water boy, Adam Sandler hasn't always made terrible movies. He's sometimes made really good ones. Watch it tonight. Um, Brad, you're obviously a bit more like me. You have the opposite opinion. Um you're quite shy in bringing it forward. You know, you're never that quite filled with stuff. But Corey Evans, is, you're not a big fan. You're not, you're not a fan. Why, why is that? Can't stand the bloke. Uh, I think he's just a coward on the pitch. He's not a leader. Um, he's probably the worst captain I've ever seen, not just at Sunderland, but in any level of any football. Um, <laughs> I, I, fucking hell. I have to right, hold on. 
I need to oh. just call that out a bit, Brad, because we all saw that Wickham game where he went and virtually got his head decapitated in the name of the red and white shirt. Uh, That's a he was obviously So I think he's a coward. He may not be the best footballer in the world, but... I think, sure I think the way he plays, I think, is quite cowardly. That's what I, I've got to be honest. If, if that's where you're coming from, Brad, I think that. Yeah. On the pitch, I, I mean, yeah. he might be a lovely, he might be lovely to sit and talk to and have a pint with. But to lead your team to promotion, nah. Nah. Like, it, I've never played at the highest standard, but a captain for me on, your, on the pitch is someone who, if you're having a little bit of a bad game, he's the one that comes and has a little word in your ear. He just doesn't do it. It's so like is, the problem, is the problem he's, that he's got the yeah. armband? He should never have been given it, but I just don't rate him as a footballer either. Um, can I think of any war that are worse? I think, we're getting, I think we're getting a really vital component here. What about the leadership team? I've never spent the same haven't they? Well, Flanagan's at Shrewsbury, so he's not doing much leading at the moment. The leader of the leaders is Corey Evans. And we got rid of... Uh, people hate, like, don't... People, well, I get the impression a lot of people don't like him. But for me, Max Power, it's just someone like him. Wasn't blessed with talent, but he was a leader. And especially when you re- watch the games behind closed doors last season, you just heard him non-stop as a captain and leading the players. I know that they've got a manager there and the professional footballers who should be able to do it. But everyone talks about how good of a captain Kevin Ball was and the influence he had in making the team better. We've had skippers like Catamol, Bawley, and I mean, they're the two that come to my head. Um, even the one season it was Eolo Oksana. He got it straight. He got the captaincy straight away and he was a captain. He was a leader. Um, but who who would you give it to, Brad? Who would you say last six games you're the captain? Do you not think that would cause more problems than it would solve? Well, it's, it's not going to get taken off him, but if he was dropped, it would just be right for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, same, same for me. And a lot based on recent performances, and I, I sit behind one of the goals, and I've praised him so much this season, which he's come on, and now he actually sounds like a leader, is Anthony Patterson. He is constantly shouting at his defence and organising and telling them what he can see behind them. And if I ask anyone who sits around that area that can hear, Anthony Patterson did not stop shouting every time he's been up in the South Stand when I've watched in the last four, five, six games. And that's a credit to him. Well, whilst we're on Patterson, I think it speaks volumes by the fact that I haven't even wrote it down as a question. And normally if Patterson played previously in the past, it would always be a question because he's not Someone who's played regularly and, and yada yada, he's number one for me without a doubt. Um, sorry to Hoffman, sorry to Burge, but Patterson every single day of the week. Dave, you wanted to add something to that, mate? Go ahead. Yeah, just a quick one. The one thing I will say is you've got to remember we're 40 games into a season and it's a very, very long time 40 games in football. But I tell you what, Corey Evans, when he, and I've said it before on a previous podcast, then first six games, he was a breath of fresh air. He was very, very good. I remember certain certain games when we were a little bit lackadaisical, a little bit flat. He flew in with some pretty strong challenges, winning the ball fairly, and kind of lifted the whole crowd around the place. Now, I'm not a Corey Evans fan in any way, shape or form, but there's got to be a bit of equilibrium to everything. And I think up until that sixth game... 
And I think he actually got injured flying into a challenge, if I'm not mistaken. And it ruled him out for a bit, and he hasn't quite been the same. Now, the bits that we'll never see is, has the management asked him to do a slightly different role? Have they asked him to do a slightly different job? The chances are that they have. You know, Lee Lee Johnson obviously wanted us to go and press from the top, wanted us to get right in their faces when they had the ball in the in their own defensive third. And I think we've probably changed slightly from that. And I think Johnson changed from that, if I'm honest, through his tenure. And I just think, listen, it's a League One football club. There isn't too many of these players who I would care if they did or didn't leave at the end of the season, which is a horrible thing to say. But I think just for a little bit of balance, I think the first six games, Corey Evans did give us a little bit of a lease in a mobile centre midfielder who actually put a bit of a challenge in and put himself about out there. And unfortunately, he's faded away. Who know, I mean, how old's the bloke now? 30, 35, 34, something like that. Younger. younger than that, is he? Only 31, 32. Sorry, Dave. What I will That's say, to try and balance my approach, if I can, although I've just absolutely fucking rinsed him, <laughs> is ask him for 90 minutes on a Saturday. He might be doing what Alex Neal's telling him to do and doing it very well. Yeah. But I'm seeing it from a fan's point of view, what I want to see from my captain and from yeah. someone in that area. And for me, if it, if you're going to put all nine in there, you've got to be Matete alongside him or it's got to be Dan Neal. I think Matete can do exactly what Evans does, but do more and be better at it. I think 0-9 could probably do it as well, although I'd now see him as probably a little bit more of an attacking one. Dan Neal's probably the only one that you couldn't go like for like without getting a bit more because I think Dan Neal, again, is more about getting on the ball and get driving forward. But we've got 0-9 and, and especially Matete, who can do what Corey Evans does, but I think do it a, a lot better. But if Evans is doing what Alex Neal's telling him to do and he's doing it well, then fine. But it's just not what as a fan's perspective, what I want to see for my captain. So just to bring myself back down to earth, because I think I got a little bit carried away there after a couple of Stellas. <laughs> Sorry, Corey, I, I, you must be, you might be a nice bloke and I get picked for your country and your, your brother's a brilliant footballer and you've played at a higher level. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's all, you know more about football than probably that I've ever dreamt about. But uh, nah, I'm still not a fan of you. But good luck in your endeavours. Do you know, do you know what we're going to see? You know what we're going to see? And there's a pattern emerging here. And you've made us all laugh, Brad, there. Well done. <laughs> He's, I'm, on, Alec I'm, Neal, only honestly. Saying, I'm only saying that because I'm aware this will be going out tonight and me and my son's going to play with the Year Awards tomorrow and my voice is very distinct. <laughs> so, players and this. When you're in a hole, stop digging, Brad. There's a saying. I'll have to go and go, Corey, can my son have a photo? <laughs> in all in all seriousness, no, in all seriousness, uh, easy for me to say. I've had a couple of stellas as well. Um, the you're gonna see experience. Alec Neal is gonna put experience in the team. He's hinted at it in his interviews post and pre-match. Um, he's gonna put the experienced lads in there. You saw Bart coming back in yesterday. The um the opposition manager yesterday referenced it. He said, you know, right and Bart at the back there, we knew that was gonna be hard to get through. So I think Neil and Matete will have 
their place in the next six, hopefully nine games. Um, but I think you're going to see you're going to see experience in the side in in the next few games from the start. I anyway, I think what we'll do is we'll just cut that segment of. Brad Rinson Corey when he did, and when he's lifting the playoff trophy final, I'm just like, sorry, Corey. <laughs> um, now on a serious note, to be fair, I started the conversation. I will openly agree with a lot of things Brad said. I don't like the way he conducts himself on the pitch. But prove us wrong, Corey. That's what we want. That's what we're there for. We're all behind you nonetheless. Doesn't really matter whether we think you're a good player or not. We're still behind you, mate, 100 percent Um we normally do what does the result mean in the context of the season, but we bloody well know what it means. Um, so sum up your feelings, Dave, in two words based on Sunderland's 1-0 win in the 95th win it, win it, win it, uh, win it come off, man, minute um, against Gillingham. You're going to hate me because I can't do it in two words, but it means absolutely sweet fuck all unless we beat Oxford or at least, sorry, unless we have a positive result against Oxford. So, yeah, that's my two-word answer. That was not two words at all, mate. Um, that was about 40, but, you know, nonetheless. Uh, Brad, stick to the rules, please. Two words on the result of the weekend. Weird but wonderful. That's three. <laughs> Phil, give me your 500-word essay, please, on uh, your thoughts on Sunderland's win on Saturday. I, I can do it in two. Um, fucking massive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, I'm also not going to have to put a disclaimer of the sweary words on here, but I think that went a long time ago, to be fair. Um, but as always, thanks for joining us. Been quite a fun one to do tonight, actually. Um, probably going to have loads of editing because we spoke over each other about 40 times, but nonetheless. Um, thanks for sticking with us. The, the, the positive is we all wanted to say stuff because we're all feeling quite positive and that's nice. Um, up the Alex Neal. Um, I'm a big fan of Alex Neal. And just as a roundabout not to try to make it too serious here but um thanks everyone massively for the the Welsh just this week obviously people who follow my my personal page will have seen um that I had my second operation this week on something that I very much hope I get the okay from very very soon um and the well wishes and people checking in on me has been very very nice and very much massively appreciated made me feel very supported um so thanks for doing it and as for the person who keeps us like in the podcast Fuck you. Thanks very much. And we've been what the fuck. <laughs>